My name is Garrett Smith. And we are coming at you. Uh, we are going to do uh, kind of a new thing tonight. Yes. Um, I. Uh, how should I put it? This is the first in a series that we're doing, a uh, sort of spinoff from I Like to Movie Movie called I Like to Franchise Franchise, in which we go over the entire franchise in detail of some famous franchises. This was the brainchild of a former guest who has returned today, uh, Mr. Chris Vanderkay. It is only my second episode, and I already feel like the family member you guys don't call. Oh, <laughs> well, it's family here, because yes, family is the most family. important thing in the world. Cars right. come second. Right. But, uh, yeah, so Chris uh, approached us with the idea, said, you know, we, we had such a good conversation. We should do this more often. Why not put an idea behind it and talk franchises? Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, we're going to take our first stab at that today. And uh, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for you, listeners. Yeah. Chris, I also, I didn't even tell you this before, but I also thought of like a very Chris specific question I'm going to ask you about our franchise as we go along here. Uh, that I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty, yes, I'm very excited to see how you answer this. Because Chris, uh, if anybody uh, is a listener of our show, knows uh, he was here previously to talk about Pontypool uh, in support of your book, uh, which I would like to give you the opportunity to plug here again for our listeners. Oh, you put me on the spot. I forgot the name of my own book. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I, first of all, thank you for uh, agreeing to let me not only come back on your show, but to commandeer it for however frequently we do this. It's going to be a blast. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, you know what? I'm not even joking. You literally put me on the spot. Wait, I, I think I know. It's called Spoiler Alert, the badass, I, right? I almost just said it's the badass book of movie plots, and then I couldn't remember the actual. I remember the subtitle and not the title. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it's called Spoiler Alert, and it's uh, it's basically a breakdown of the 48 uh, most, I don't want to say most popular, but very popular genres of Hollywood film. And it's sort of a template breakdown of if you're the worst writer in the world, as long as you follow these beats, you'll get one of these movies out of it. And it's sort of a satirical fun look at the cliches and tropes of uh, uh, modern and classic American Hollywood film. It's an excellent book. Yeah. Uh, Garrett and I have both read it. It's he, it's one of those books that's just like, fun. it's fun. It's like, yeah. it's a relaxing, fun read because you're almost like playing it as you go along and retroactively, you know, putting movies you love or hate into the mold. And uh, it, it's smart beyond belief. So yeah, it does feel work. like you're like playing a game while you read a book, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Have you guys done that that thing? I, I've now uh, sort of unconsciously started doing when I watch a movie that falls into any of those genres. I'll just I'll start to do the math in my head of how many of the, what is it the, the you know so six per page the eighteen beats that we have in the three acts. I just ch check them off as I go. <laughs> oh, as yeah, I'm watching, yeah. I'm like, oh, this one's like forty percent. So that's yeah, sort of yeah. how I watch a movie now. Yeah. And that's a fun thing you can do if you pick up this book. I had to laugh because Garrett, when you threw to Chris, I was like, Garrett doesn't remember the title of this book. That's what's happening. Nah, and then man. you threw to Chris, and then Wait. we were all absolved. Here's, I, just, here's, I, I played, I was Switzerland. I didn't want to touch the, it. This is the miracle of the human brain, or maybe just my extremely bizarre brain, but I did not remember the name of your book, so I threw to you, and then when you panicked and didn't remember the name of your own book, my brain immediately remembered it and was like, oh, I got this. 
the but savior like, complex kicked in yeah, for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Poor bastard. Yeah. Well, we have access to so much information, so like we can find out anything, but we like we know nothing now. Yeah. Like yeah. before, if I knew a fact, I'd lock it in. But now I'm just like, my phone will get that for me later. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. I ever need to recall that, I'll just Google it. Yeah. Well, that's why my brain it just went. Uh, you know, the Anatomy Affair was the first one. Horror films by subgenre was the second one. So like I'm literally listing like everything yeah. I've written. I'm like, no, that was an article <laughs> you submitted to Fangoria. It's like <laughs> just going through all these things. I love the uh, what's it in a uh, high fidelity when he rearranges his records chronologically. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I could probably do that to my movie collection. That's sort of the method that you applied just to remember your own uh, ography. <laughs> we'll call yeah. it. Exactly. Well, thank uh, you for that yeah. uh, humiliating uh, introduction. <laughs> That's how we do it here on I Like to Franchise Franchise. Yeah. It just flows off the tongue. I like to say that really uh, stumble bum of a title was my suggestion because I thought it would be fun for not just me to get tongue-tied when I said it. <laughs> I think it's it's perfect. It's totally on brand because it, if not for that song, I like to move it, move it. I like to movie, movie would not roll off the tongue uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, quite as well. But uh, if you are interested in I like to movie, movie, remember, uh, please like, subscribe, tell your friends all about that. I like to movie with the numeric two is what we use across all of the platforms. So yes, yes. definitely, definitely check that out. Please interact with us. We've been having a lot of good interactions with our fans and getting a lot of great ideas from them and coming up with some cool stuff with them. So please, yeah. please, please interact with us and also check out our YouTube. We've been dropping some videos on a bi-weekly basis, sort of a looser, uh, you know, a fun feel. And through the comment section there, we're going to be doing some contests with some cool prizes coming up. So stay tuned. And as we have come become accustomed to saying regularly now, there will be a Patreon at some point. So you're yeah, in the clear, yeah. but we do want your money. So yeah. it will be happening. Keep your eyes open and, uh, in the meantime, just send your money to Black Lives Matter or bail funds. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes. until then, then when Agreed. we get the Patreon, we'll, we'll reroute that in another Yeah, way. exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll ask them to return it, right? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, in the most that... American fashion, we'll say thanks for all the work. We'd like the spoils, please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the note of interacting with people, though, Dan, we like uh, today's episode. The reason, so Chris, when when we had first sort of pitched this idea around, if I like to franchise franchise, we'd all talked about probably doing Friday the Thirteenth first because we're all fans of that franchise. But we pulled a last minute hail mary because I was talking with one of our listeners about um, they had I don't even remember what they had just watched, but um, we were talking about like small science fiction movies. Oh, they had just watched Coherence, I think. Oh, um, oh wait, is this uh, is this uh, cozy? Uh, Co cozy Rye, yeah. Cozy Rye. Uh, Shout out to Cozy Rye. He's like our biggest fan, and we love you, man. Love him. And uh, we were chatting about just small sci-fi movies, and I was I asked him if he had seen Cube because that's one of my favorite uh, small sci-fi movies. Uh, I also recommended Time Crimes to him, which I think he just watched, and we've done an episode on previously. So anyway, I figured, like, this, yeah, this is a great way to be, like, uh, interacting with our, our fans. He was like, I would love to hear you guys talk more about that. So I pitched to Chris, because I knew Chris is also a big fan of this movie, that we do the Cube trilogy as our opening franchise for uh, I Like to Franchise Franchise. So we're talking about Cube. Talking about it's cubes. also It's also, uh, let's see, at three entries, it's what? eight movies shorter than Friday the 13th? Yes. Am I doing the math right? It's a little so. simpler to get started with this one, yeah. <laughs> so it's, this, was, this was one that we could fit in. It's still about the same amount of plot over these three films, though. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I would That's probably true. agree with that. <laughs> and honestly, some uh, equally creative gore, but we'll get into that uh, a little bit later, I, I imagine. For sure. Yeah. Was this anybody's... I mean, are we getting into cubes? Yeah, I'm ready to, I'm ready to cube. Let's I'm get cube. cube it up. Let's cube. Hey, cube. I'm, I'm a in. cube. He's a cube. She's a cube. We're all cubes. Hey, 
Come on. Sweet Keenan and Kel? <laughs> no, that, was, uh, that wasn't Keenan and Kel. That was Good Burger. I was just going to say Good Burger or nothing. Yeah. Wait, but is Good Burger not Keenan and Kel? It is Keenan and Kel, but Keenan and Kel is a separate entity, which was the Ken <laughs> Forey starring uh, sitcom that they did. Right, okay, right. fair, fair. Keenan's yeah. dad was, was Ken Forey. Fair, yes. and also, I think Good Burger had its origins in the in the sketch comedy show All, All that, that, correct? That's correct. true, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. All that. Which brings I us hope... back to Cube. Lori <laughs> 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 Beth Denberg, big fan of Cube. And so uh, that's just the only cast member I can remember the name of. Very funny, though. She used to kill me. Um, oh, and Amanda Bynes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I never would have picked Keenan to be the one to be the longest running SNL cast member ever. But, <laughs> man, he is great. Yeah. Just, he, he's just plugging away and, like, really killing it. Anyway, Cube. <laughs> and, um, I got to say, this is my maybe, like, 100th time seeing the original Cube. Yeah, but it was too. only my second time around for Cube Squared Hypercube and Cube Zero. So it was quite interesting to see how my reaction to all three of them changed with time. Yeah, it was my second or maybe third time with the sequels. I can't remember. Mm. I've definitely seen them both before. I can't remember if I've seen them more than once before, though. Yeah, mm. I had watched the original exhaustively. Uh, it was right around the same time. I think it was came out in 97, 98. It was right yes. around the same time as Pi. And I used to watch yes. the two of those in tandem because they felt very similar to me. You know, sort what of a great double feature. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, but I never saw either of the other two. I saw never saw Hypercube and I saw Cube Zero that many times. <laughs> oh, there you go. There, I mean, what did we, how do we want to start this? What did, do we just general review? Cause yeah, I, well, I mean, maybe we do with the story so far, right? Like what's the, what's the yeah, overall yeah. premise of the franchise as a, as a franchise? Oh, I got so, this. Cause I just, I just wrote an article about cube <laughs> and it's great, dude. Thank you. Appreciate it. It is very, very good. Yeah. Thank you guys very much. I, I, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time writing this, uh, uh article about cube called what is a cube. Uh, you can find it on uh, cinema 76.com. But anyway, so I nailed this. I figured this out. I can do this in like two sentences. Cube is about a small group of strangers that wake up inside of a cube that has a door on every wall, including the floor and the ceiling. And they don't know how they got there. They don't remember how they got there. And they, the story of the movie is them trying to escape the cube. Uh, and in doing so, they find out uh, pretty in, in pretty grisly fashion that certain rooms have traps. And they got to figure out how to get around those. Cube. Cube. That's it. That's the whole premise. Cube. That, yeah, that's it. That description is basically just a sci-fi version of the opening crawl for the real world. Right. Yeah. Seven friends picked to live in a cube. <laughs> I, I, I wrote in my, in my little cube review that I like one of Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This might dig into a couple of the other things you wanted to talk about right away, Chris. But like, I mean, one of the things about it is it's a death game movie, right? That's mm -hmm. this is like is maybe the, the sort of genre I put it in. We can talk more about that. But um, one of the things about death game movies is it's always like we chose these six people specifically because they have six extremely different ideas about how to solve this one problem. Um, and, and it is literally that's the real world. It is, it is the these movies are all the the real world in the Thunderdome is what I said in. Uh, it's the real uh, world, but mixed with the modern trend of escape rooms. Yes. Yep. You know. Yeah, it's, for sure. What what can we all add to? The, there has to be a solution. Yep. You know, that's always the suggestion. Is there has to be a way out. We've just yep. got to figure it out. And there's got to be then, a reason. It's us. Like there's yes, got to be a reason. Yeah. I w I'm a doctor. I must have been chosen because I'm a doctor. You know. Well, and that's the thing too, right? It's almost always whatever it is the whatever is the mechanism of escape. And this certainly came to fruition in a franchise that I think was influenced by Saw, which uh, which or Saw, which was influenced by Cube. 
I feel like it, it leads directly to that whatever your deficit or uniqueness or whatever thing it is about you that stands out, when you figure out what that is, that's also what solves the problem that you're in. Yeah. I want to footnote this just because we'll come up with it later, because this is something that influenced Saw for sure. But Cube Zero is the first post-Saw entry of Cube, and Cube Zero starts to take tonal cues from Saw. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, you know, the way that, that Simpsons gave way to Family Guy, and now if you watch Simpsons, it's kind of Family Guy-esque. Like, it, it right. whipped back around. It sort of yeah. does that. Or if you watch James Bond after any of the Bourne films came out. Yeah, yeah. 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 Suddenly everyone forgets their tripod. <laughs> the um, This, I, I was trying to class it up a little bit and so i was looking up the play by a man whose name i've never known how to pronounce jean paul uh sartre sartre whatever it is has oh, a play Sart- called Sarty. no exit yeah. sardi oh no yeah. Exit. yeah yes and no exit is a play it's a great play and it's about a bunch of people their afterlife is that they are stuck in a room together right. ultimately leading to the conclusion that hell is other people right. and in cube the whole idea is like conflict is other people we yeah, drive yeah. these movies forward through the conflict of other people. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, although it doesn't feel stage-bound in some ways because uh, because of the camera movement and stuff like that. But I, mm-hmm. I would say that the certainly the storyline of this and Saw and and other other movies that do the same thing, sort of the chamber horror film, Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like they're all born of stage plays, the, all existential stage plays, you know, Waiting for Godot and all these other ones, where they were already literally trapped in a square they couldn't leave, which was the stage. So instead of pretending that there was a much bigger world, they just sort of cop to it. You know, yeah, yeah. And cleverly, when it was transposed to film, they had to cop to the fact that they didn't have many sets. So they sort of utilized those same tools that you're talking about, like from No Exit. Mm. I think we yeah. should take the guys from True West and put them in a cube. <laughs> be amazing. <laughs> cube West. <laughs> uh, I, I would like to uh, uh, give you the opportunity to keep us on the rails here, Chris, if you like. I know you've kind of got a nice format laid out for us here. Well, so, yeah, I mean, we already talked about the story so far, right, which is the yep. overall um, concept of the series. I'm curious what you guys thought about, like, if you watch the Friday the 13th franchise, for instance, you can get a general sense. It's a little wonky, but you can get a general sense over of what the time span over the series is. Yeah. I'm curious, did you guys have any frame of reference for, I mean, we get the sense of where they come in order. But right, beyond yeah. that, I don't know that we get any sense of what the actual amount of time that has transpired throughout the well, they're so they're so disconnected, and it's almost suggested yeah. that they're not even the same cube. So it's like there's really these could be simultaneous cubes. These could be so far apart in time that you know why we get the futuristic cube and the the squared cube, <laughs> the tesseract, mm-hmm. the tesseract. Yeah. And um, yeah, I I don't think there's really an answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the original one, I I think obviously like very intentionally is is set like very outside of time. There's there's no reference at all to anything outside of the cube in that. And movie. yet it it feels so much like it was made in 1997. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But what I would say is, it, I think if you were maybe gonna make a guess at that, I would guess that that movie is set in the future, in some indeterminate time in the future. Yeah. Just, just based on the location of the cube itself, I, I would, and I guess like some of the traps within or whatever, like, I, I think I would assume that that device is something that could only exist in our future, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then the assumption must also be that it's in the future once you get to cube zero, because cube zero takes place before that one even. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Well, that's the weird thing, right? Is so cube seems to exist in a world where this is the only cube, but we only assume that because we only ever interact with the characters inside it who have never experienced anything. You know, they, they have no reason to assume there would be more of these. Mm-hmm. The second one makes reference to the fact that this is the second iteration of the cube, sort of kind of saying out loud that it's a direct sequel in some way to the first one. Um, and that there are now at least two of these devices. But then Cube Zero in the finale tries to kind of reveal that it might be a prequel to the first one, but I think even that is pretty unclear. I thought about this a lot. I think it is a prequel to the first one. Okay. And this is something that I really ended up, because I honestly, to tell you the truth, I'll just come straight out. I I had a lot of fun watching both of them, and I think that both Cube 2 and Cube Zero are very bad movies. Oh, they are. Um, They're terrible. I yeah. really had a, a tough time I'm, with some of their elements. I'm so but, glad we're all on the same page with that, too. Okay, cool, I cool. didn't want to be that guy. No, oh, no, no. And I, even actually the first one didn't quite hold up for me, but Cube Zero adds something into it that I think if you read it the way I read it, adds a richness to it. At the end of Cube Zero, it is suggested that the one programmer now mentally damaged is inserted yeah. into a cube and has very similar ticks and limitations as the mentally challenged man in the yeah. first movie. I don't think it's suggesting that it's him. Because the I cube is a different cube. Yeah. What it's suggesting is that there's more to the story of the first one yes. than we all know. Yeah. That there could be plenty of these guys who got too deep and were made into, you know, they were made of... Uh, they had their brain messed with and yeah. then were tossed into the cube. Yeah. And so it suggests that in the first one, like this little group is just one of many. And this is where they also just, dis- you know, dispense of, you know, people like that. Did we lose yeah. Chris? I don't know. Here he oh, is. You, you guys just switched sides again. Sorry about that. That's yeah, all right. All good. And so yeah. I like that as in adding like, oh, he wasn't just a guy with mental health issues. He was actually, yeah. you know, could have known more. Well, and that's I, that's we, fun. That's really all it comes down to. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I do think like what's interesting maybe about both sequels is that like you know Hypercube I don't think has anything to really say in any thematic sense. Hypercube no. is just a dumb movie for the most part. Like we can talk more about this, but I think that movie is just like it is the only thing it's about is its own plot. It's about uh, cubes. It's right. like, whoa, cubes. Yeah. Cube 2 is only about its own plot. It's about figuring out the timey-wimey stuff, right? Yeah. Um, cube squared, please. Get y- it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cube Zero. Extreme. Oh Yes. Uh, cube Zero does, I think, at least one of the good things it does is try to add another thematic level to, like, the ideas of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in basically, like, if the first movie is a chamber horror, like we're describing it, and these people maybe were specifically put there for some reason. The movie never really reveals that, that these opposing ideals were all put there for a reason to sort of see what happens when you put people that think this way together in a space. Like, how do they, you know, will they kill each other first or will the game kill them? That's like, you know, kind of the interesting thing about that movie. Mm-hmm. I think what the third one adds that's kind of interesting is, and then what if they were being observed? And what if those observers were being observed? Like, what if these are experiments on experiments to see how people interact when they're put in these situations? That's sort of what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like that aspect of it. It's just it's it's, you know, it took three movies to get there. One of which is good. Yeah. 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 But overall, the overall timeline, I could I, I think it's it could be decades. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially if and and it's interesting because I think I leaned a little bit towards the opposite of what you're saying about the reveal at the end of the third one. 
Yeah. I thought I thought they were trying to say that it was connected. I, it, ironically, even though he looks different and the, the people in the room were different, I, I my assumption was they didn't want to try and pull that stunt where they hired somebody who looked like the last guy. So yeah. they just figured we're going to put people in the room and they're going to understand that it's the same yeah. people. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I, I think that's how I read it the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. So, but now I think, well, okay, if he's not the same guy, then it doesn't even necessarily mean it is a prequel. It could have taken right. place anywhere because that's right. the yeah. only thing that made me feel like it came before. Right. I know because I think a lot of the other things, like um, Dan, I think you're right that it's got that sort of grime of a Saw movie. But the mm-hmm. other thing that this movie reminds and me of the a traps. lot. The traps are, are goopy and, oh, and gross. Super like goopy, a Saw movie. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing it reminds me of is Terry Gilliam. It seems like yeah. very much like low rent Terry Gilliam, and and something that about that boss with the robot eye that Dude. made me cringe so hard. But in my head, I was going, if this was if this was like in Brazil, it would work. But this is so low level that like Frankly, it's just yeah. I had a Gilliam thought as well. You guys can't see it, but on my paper it says here, outside the cube is like Brazil, but not funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. It's uh, Brazil, got... but Mona from Who's the Boss isn't there. I mean, I got I got to throw this out out there that a uh, favorite character in the whole franchise might be the doctor with the crazy eye. I love that scene chewing like B movie. I feel like this movie is not neither this or Hypercube are very good, but they both are fairly entertaining. And this movie is about to grind to a halt. And then that guy enters and like kind of keeps it on its feet for the last like 30 minutes, I think. I'll tell you exactly what my issue is with that guy. Yeah. He is emblematic of okay. What I love about the first cube is yeah. that it's very aware of its budget. So it yes. plays and it gets creative with how to expand that budget. Two and three are so cluelessly unaware of their budget. And rather than sticking to it, they try to pretend by doing these big flashy things that look cheap. And yeah. that guy, although he's having a lot of fun, he comes across as really, really cheap. And yeah. he comes like he, he feels like he's from a completely different movie, he does. you know, like a Terry Gilliam movie. Yeah. And so it's just to me, it's just emblematic of the sort of cluelessness of the filmmakers. And that's I think that's why I rubbed against it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, I think it's like the most fun thing in the movie. But I do. But that is not to actually disagree with what you're saying. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, when he walked in, the, the the second he came on screen and the way he was interacting with the other guy that worked in the room, the vibe that I got off of him was, you guys have, of course, you guys have seen Texas Chainsaw, The Next Generation. Yeah. Oh, um, I've not seen The Next Generation. I thought you were going to say 2, because 2 kind of has some of this it, type of it does, but stuff in it. Yeah, Next Generation in particular, there's a there's a a wild, uneven, and clearly almost unintentional tone to that movie that it kind of feels like this movie had. Because until he came in, the movie didn't read as a weird comedy and yeah, then he came in and then it suddenly sort of betrays everything else that's happening. It's like, yeah. it's almost like if you've ever seen where like a community theater production with a good director, he can pick people who may not be great, but they're not noticeably bad. But yeah. then there's mm-hmm. just one that sneaks through and like, we couldn't control him on set kind of thing. And yeah. that's yeah. kind of what that guy feels like in comparison to everybody else. It's like, Oh, he's the one they couldn't mute. You know? I, so yeah, here, yeah. here, I I think I actually totally I'm throw agree. this out there. There's a great piece on Cinema 76 that I wrote about Texas Chainsaw Next Generation. So look it up, listeners. Yeah. Well, I as, think long I, as, we're, as long as we're talking about articles that we've written about Texas Chainsaw and the Next Generation, oh, I wrote yes. an article talking about comparing it to how it's actually the film that did what Martyrs did first. Uh, so Ooh. if you haven't seen Martyrs, go look up my article. It's a really interesting comparison. So I love Martyrs, so I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Love to be martyrs. Oh, sorry. Garrett, I, I think watch I, martyrs. Uh, okay. I think <laughs> I agree with you guys about 
that guy, but I think I just actually feel the opposite, which is that I feel like he understands the tone of the movie and no one else actually did. Because watching it again, like having seen it already and knowing that it would get to that place where it is kind of funny and scene chewy and like really B movie, mm. the rest of the movie does actually feel that way to me, knowing that it's going to get there. But I didn't even realize, I, it, I don't think it tips its hat enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like nobody else... Nobody else is playing at that. I didn't level. remember that guy you know? existed when I watched this. Yeah. The last time I watched Cube Zero was, you know, 15 years ago when it came yeah. out. I feel like going in, I, I would, if I was interested in watching it again, which I'm not, I would like to go into it <laughs> with that mindset to yeah. see if there's not as much of a tonal mash as, as I'm feeling now. There is a pretty funny interplay the whole time between the two main characters where mm. I just don't think either of those actors you know, they, they, they're not playing at that guy's level. And if they mm. were, I think it would come across like more, it would be more apparent that that is actually baked in there, that there's like this weird sort of sly, like goofy humor to this movie. Yeah. I feel like so if you, there was more gears and steam yes. and, and like air horns that go, yeah. like if there was more of that in the world, yeah. then it would fit and it would be the Terry Gilliam. Or, fit. Yeah. Or perhaps like maybe Matthew McConaughey with a remote control robot leg from uh, yes. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Which for some reason requires, uh, it has multiple remotes and even requires <laughs> a remote. I, that, I never understood that. But hey, what a movie. Uh, well, so, <laughs> I feel like I sound like I'm defending Cube Zero. I just want to be clear that it's a pretty bad movie that I just really enjoy. I you're think it's worth defending guys. though. Well, yeah. I mean, you're talking to two guys who have both written articles about Texas Chainsaw the Next Generation. Right. So. No one yeah. here is blameless. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> here's, here's something I want to ask about the franchise, and I know this is somewhere in your list, kind of, Chris. Um, what is your favorite cube in these movies? Mine is actually the one from Cube Zero. It's my favorite cube design. Yep, same here. I like I like original flavor. Yeah, I, I love that. the I love the lighting and the production design and the and the shooting of the first one. But yeah. there's something about the utilitarianism of that last one. Yeah, it just seems like that's how they would have built it because here's yeah. how it needs to function. Yes, yes. I, yeah. I like, it comes down to me to the opening mechanisms and the color. And yeah. the opening mechanisms, I don't like the touch screens from Cube Squared. Yeah, um, the big either. giant, uh, you know, uh, it just feels like uh, like Duplo blocks <laughs> in the third one. But I like the first one where it's you actually have yeah. to crank it. And yeah. I also like, that's another thing where it's embracing its budget. They only had yes. one cube, but they had as many color gels or whatever they used to light yep. the different I love colors. That too. And so I really love that as the device to talk about different rooms. And whereas I felt like the, the one in three did have the different colors, but it was more focused on that, like, uh, you know, dark green metallic yeah, uh, material is. as opposed to the lit panels between the material. And so I don't know, it, did, it just didn't grab me the same. Yeah. We're all in agreement cool. that the that the hypercube looks like crap, though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that, <laughs> that movie like could, store. Yeah, yeah, that movie yeah. could accurately be described as one woman's journey to becoming a Windows ninety five screensaver. Yeah. <laughs> Spot on. Well, actually, that's a that's a perfect segue into one of the things I'm most excited talking about, which is like the icons of the series. You know, yeah. if you talk about Friday the Thirteenth, right? There's the mask, there's the machete, there's the you know the coveralls, there's the music. Um, what do you think? Sleeping bag choose? body slam. Right, Sleeping exactly. Bag body slam. Yeah, the things that everybody take away from, you know, they may have only been in one, but they're remembered as the things of the series. Yeah. Are, were there any icons that jumped out to you guys? Things that echoed either throughout all of them or just were so iconic that... I mean, two out of three had coveralls as, as an image thing. The second one, everybody kind of wore their own clothes. Yeah. Well, Dan, you and I talk about this all the time, that the first kill in the first movie 
is like what you remember about Cube, I think. That that opening where the guy gets chopped up into little cubes. Into cubes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um that that is like such an iconic uh like horror movie moment for me. I think probably because of the age I saw it too, you know. Um mm-hmm. but is also like you know, uh, I think a lot of people think Cube is not a great movie. I really, really like the first Cube, um, but I could see not really liking the first Cube. It's like admittedly a B movie. But anyway, the reason I'm saying all of that is I think that that sequence and that first kill is what buys you 90 more minutes of movie. Oh, do you know what I mean? Down. Yep. Well, it's, that, it's really well the... executed, too. Like, it, yeah. in a way that even the rest of that movie isn't quite as good. It's still good, but that opening is crackerjack. Yes. That was a thing in movies for a while. We often talk about it on the show. The people getting chopped up in some way, but not realizing it until a couple seconds after it happens and then <laughs> yeah. falling to pieces. Yep. And I think Cube, while it might not have been first, it was definitely at like the front end of that wave. And it might have been first. Yeah, That was at the front end of the wave where every movie had somebody getting either sliced down the middle and then they fall at an angle. Or, you know, uh, heck, uh, Resident Evil has somebody getting cubed just with lasers. <laughs> Yeah, they get laser like cubed. That, it's like the Wile e. Coyote uh, walking off, off the cliff thing, you know, where like until you're aware of the tragedy, it doesn't befall you. I yes, remember. yeah. Alien Resurrection, where somebody got the back of their head punctured by one of the aliens, and it took him a second where he had to like reach around and then feel that part of his brain was hanging out before he collapsed, you know? Oh, that's another one of those movies that people don't like that I just love. I, I think know. Resurrection's so good. That's on but, our list um, franchise franchise. Trying to yeah. think what other imagery there is. I mean, you have to have. Oh. You well, definitely have to have, you know, like the the portals between them, and so I like yeah. that. And I do like that. That's something that's changed. Where you have a hand crank in the first one, you've got a touch screen in the second one, and then you sort of have like the perfect medium, just a, yeah. you know, almost a doorknob on the third one. I feel like I mean, I, for sure, math is one of the. Uh, yeah. iconic right somebody scribbling with an object that's not actually a pen right like <laughs> something some sort of object to try and do long division to figure out oh, how yeah, to yeah. this problem um that was one of my favorite ones i also oh, yeah, like, the cubes uh, are all made out of soft carvable metal it seems yes. because it's really easy to just etch anything into the wall yeah, permanently use a button what are the, the, yeah. these they somehow use like shoelace grease to like uh write in the second yeah. one right yeah was it the, yeah that was the second one yeah um, there was, there, I, I don't know if it counts as an icon through the series, but it was in two of the three open with a super close-up of an eyeball. Yes. yes. Both open up with an opening of an eyeball. So I thought that was interesting. Did not continue to the third. I don't know why. Did they feel like it had been done too much already? They were like, we're before the eyeballs, man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then what was the other, there was one that, oh, I mean, I guess this counts more as a theme than an icon. Maybe we'll get into the the recurring themes of the film. But each one of them did that, um, character that you're supposed to underestimate or the character with some sort of disability that ends up somehow actually being the key to the whole thing oh yeah because you had the blind girl in the second one right mm-hmm. and, and then, then technically i guess the guy serves the same purpose in the first and the third but it's yeah it's a similar beat that they play yeah yeah and then of course i mean thematically there's a whole bunch of stuff maybe we can jump over to that the recurring themes i do feel like there's a whole bunch of stuff that that recurs throughout all three the first being um, I just call it cogs in the machine, right? Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's a massive theme throughout all of these films in different ways, but to similar effect, I think. And that's one that I feel like two fails at until the very, very, very end. And yeah. when I say two, I mean squared. When squared yeah. gets all the way to the end and you know reveals the nature of the cube and that there's some sort of force behind it or uh, organization that looks very military behind it, you know, that's 
that's well and good, but I feel like in the first and third, the whole idea of cogs in the machine actually pervades through the entire movie. Uh, the second one, I, I don't know. I, I didn't quite get that same feeling. Yeah, I, I also thought it was an interesting, I don't know if you would call it an irony or a dichotomy or what, but the idea that the movie seemed to be insinuating that there was no bigger plan, right? If everybody's right. a cog in a machine, nobody's doing this on purpose. Nobody understands why it's happening or how to solve it. And I thought it was interesting that that is sort of, uh, it's in struggle with the other aspect of the movie, which is that these this group of people, it has to be this specific group of people in order for anyone to have succeeded, right? Because it's the way that they either work or don't work together that ultimately ends up leading to a solution of some sort. Mm -hmm. so I think it's interesting that a movie that's saying, or I mean, I guess the thematically it's saying uh, there is no bigger picture, there's no greater um, meaning here, is at the same time also saying only this configuration of these seven people in this room at this time uh, would work for the outcome that we're getting. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it almost seems like those two things are in battle somehow. Well, I almost feel like, though, that the, the concept that they were all arranged or selected for certain abilities to be able to get out, I think what the third one sort of shows us is that nobody's actually put in there with the, the plan to get out. They're put in there with the illusion that they might be able to get out, but it seems to me like it is a place where you dispense of undesirables. Yeah. Whatever this corporation is, they just go, you know what, you're too much, you know too much, or whatever, or you ask too many questions, or we just feel like it. They throw you in to say, hey, you, we're just dumping you in there. But, uh, you know, putting people in, being like, oh, we have a cop and we have this type of person and this type of person gives them something to do on the inside. Right. I, I think the first one heavily implies that there really is no larger purpose, including mm. the choosing of these specific people. Yeah, it's they, just the that, illusion of them being right. importantly picked. Right. That, that, it, that it is truly random in, in some way. Um, what I think is interesting about the third one is that it adds this layer of like, well, if there was a purpose, it would be that this other group of people was to merely observe what was happening inside. And we don't understand what their purpose is or do you know what I mean? It's like the, the third one basically reiterates that it's all meaningless by creating meaning, even though it gives meaning to the cube by having somebody observe it. It, it reiterates that it's meaningless because it says like, well, what are what those observers are? We never see who they're calling up to. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It reminds me of that. There's that joke on the, uh, I think is is on the office where Michael's pitching his idea for a commercial, and he says we start on a child building a, a sandcastle, and then we pull out to reveal that sandcastle is inside of the world's largest prison, and then like he keeps pulling out, <laughs> and each idea is worse than the last one as he keeps zooming out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so much of the second and third movie feel like people trying to tread water without actually answering any of the questions that the first yes. movie clearly didn't want answered. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is one of the problems for their existence. I mean, I get it. If producers are going to make some money because you could shoot a movie in one room, they're going to make sequels. Yes, but right. I feel like someone was saying, you know, how much, how much can we, how much more can we run on this thing without having to come up with any new ideas? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, like, for instance, the second one, the sort of time travel aspects of that movie are not uninteresting. It's it, like the only reason that movie's even entertaining is there is something that starts happening in that movie that goes on where you're like, this is kind of interesting as like they sort of like see these different versions of themselves playing different iterations of these scenarios out. I think I just feel like they don't do anything other. with it. They do it's, nothing. It's with literally it. just presented as if yep. to say, isn't this a neat idea? Yes. It's totally and, and unexplored it in any meaningful way. It's like, 
it, it's it, it is entertaining in and of itself because it's an interesting idea, but it is not used to any interesting end at all, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the way that something colorful can be interesting to look at, but doesn't ultimately do anything other than be interesting to look at. That's kind of how I felt about the second film. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, something that you said, Chris, I, I want to tie it to something that you said off the air, Garrett. Yeah. There's no reason that given that this can be shot in a single room and just be permutated a hundred different ways, there's no reason why there haven't been more cube movies or yeah. like a cube series where it's just different people working through a cube. Yeah. It's particularly weird considering how many different times they've tried to bring this thing back to reboot it. In fact, I think, was it last year or the year before? Vincenzo Natale was actually going to come back and reboot the franchise. I knew it. I knew that must have been true. I, I literally said that as a joke to Dan. I was like, it's unreal to me that there's not a Shutter series of Cube that Vincenzo Natale is directing right now. That seems like a, a home run. Why wouldn't everybody put money into that? Oh, yeah. yeah. In the yeah. wake of Creepshow, they're, they're yeah. Cube. But I mean, I guess that, that has a little bit more social capital than Cube. Yeah. But um at the same time, I think there are very few film fans out there that don't have some sort of a reverence towards Cube. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the, when I was first becoming a movie guy, that was a yeah. tape that I rented alongside things like Pie or Following or, yeah. uh, you know, just any of that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. I still really like the first movie because I do think it's, like, very good. Like, even rewatching it now, uh, like, you know, I think the first time I saw it, I thought the acting was, like, distinctly bad, was, like, laughably terrible. And now watching it, I feel more like it is as broad as the sort of like concepts of the movie. The movie's painting in these like big broad strokes about like conspiracy theories of the government maybe being able to organize something like this. Or maybe it's like at some point somebody says it's like a headless beast or whatever. You know, nobody, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. It's playing in these like big broad strokes. And I feel like those actors understand that their characters are meant to literally be ideologies. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Their characters are not people. They, they, they are ciphers for philosophies you know what i mean that are meant to sort of combat within the cube that actually reminds me of um we interviewed a guy named mario mischioni i'm sorry if i'm i apologize if i'm screwing that name up but he was the co-director and co-writer of a film called um oh god what's it called circle oh which yes reminds me a lot of this movie and me it's too. similar right there's 50 yep. people in a room and they all sort of represent some aspect of ideology as opposed yep. to being unique individuals and to look at that as a deficit for the film is to say i think that you should have done a different thing than you did like the thing i like right. about cube is that they're stand-ins for ideas rather than yes. actual people yeah mm-hmm. it sounds weird but it's kind of how it felt like they were doing that intentionally yeah, but it, and it also makes things like, I mean, the guy that plays Quentin is definitely, I think, the biggest, you know, he's doing the biggest acting in that movie, probably. And even that, I feel like, kind of works for that movie, because ultimately that dude is revealed to, like, straight up basically be a fascist. You know what I mean? Like it, He kind of reminds me of uh, Dokes from Dexter, if yeah. anybody here watched Dexter. Yep. Yep. I'm on to you, Morgan. He, he yeah, kind of yeah, reminded yeah. me of him. He, I mean, uh, he, he's oh, surprise, a, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's giving a huge performance, but I, I think he's also playing one of the, I mean, he's playing a character that ostensibly we should think of as good when we meet him because he's a cop and eventually is revealed to like be drunk on that power enough to actually be like a psychopath. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, that, I would agree that like, this is definitely the one in the series that I think is good Yeah. and I'm not as forgiving of the acting in it. Sure. Um, but I think that that has to do more with just like the, the quality. I, I don't mean to say this in a disparaging way, but like the quality of actor you're dealing with. These were independent actors. Yeah. You know, you're not getting Clooney into a cube. Uh-huh. Like you might now, but uh, yeah. it's just, you know, it's it, it was a, it just felt a little dated to me watching it. 
that is also part of its charm. Sure. And, uh, you know, and so I, I, I do like that one the best and I do think it's the most, it's the most good. Um, I also but think Vitaly directs the hell out of, of that movie. Yeah, it's very creatively done. I'm not I'm not a big fan of the filler montages, which is something that is a visual threat amongst all three of them. Yeah. Um I kind of went to bed on those. I, I mean all three of them went down for me in reestimation. Whereas my, my respect for the original has gone up. I just didn't <laughs> enjoy it as much. Yeah. But I, I think that once I fell into step with the acting, it started to feel more like they get it. Yeah. And less like they're not good enough. But yeah. I it's I'm still not all the way there. I, I for me, all of these movies definitely benefit from repeat viewings for that reason. That once mm. you get through once you get deep enough into them, you finally know enough about the characters to be like, oh, okay, it actually kind of makes sense that they were doing and saying the things they were doing in the opening ten minutes, you know. This is gonna sound weird, but I, I saw this movie with you, Garrett, so you'll probably hopefully you'll be on board. Yeah. I was thinking a lot about bad times at the El Royale. Oh yeah, which is a great movie, which is people trapped in a small space essentially, yeah. and it's they each represent an ideology that clashes. Now, yeah. granted, there's more room to breathe because they're not in a fucking cube, but it's still very much. Uh, it, it it just was. It set the template in my head of like, oh, you can play these broad uh, ideological, you know, ideologies as characters and still have really, really good performances in it. Because yeah. they have that's a movie filled with tremendous performances. Yes. So in the wake of that, watching Cube and seeing these people like, oh, he represents wrath. I'm like, I need a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. I, I definitely think. I mean, one of my favorite shows was it last year or the year before was um, uh, the Haunting of Hill House. And oh yeah. One of the things they did there was each one of the kids represented a stage of grief, and yet they were also mm. uniquely drawn characters on top of being the thematic element they needed to represent. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, speaking of uh, themes and representation, uh, no, actually, we just did themes and representation. But since I'm already talking, um, <laughs> uh, I'm curious what you think about the evolution of the franchise, which I actually don't yeah. think connects thematically. But like the first one very much feels uh, not only like an indie film, but a standalone thing that takes place almost like you said, like a stage play in a, in a never existing world that just sort yeah. of is, is. So I'm curious what you think about the way that it evolved in multiple entries. Like the first one I think of is obviously, I call it sort of going from three-dimensional travel to four-dimensional travel from the first one, right? That was like one of the evolutions. But I'm curious about like what other, what other things did you recognize and either like or dislike about the way that the franchise evolved? Uh, well, so one of the things I'm going to let you feel really... this. I have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Do it. One of the things I really dislike about the second one, uh, and I, I think speaks to this idea of them evolving, is that the cube in the second one never changes. Like in the first one and in the third one, you get like at least like different colors from cube to cube. And in the first one, and it's like in the second one, it is just the same exact white room every time. <laughs> and I can't fathom a reason that you would do that because I, I don't understand how you make the cheapest movie of all time cheaper. Do you well, know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I actually wrote down, I thought it was funny that the first and third movies, the uh, the cubes dressed up and the people didn't, and it was the opposite in the second one. People right. got their clothes, but the cube was dressed down in the second film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it was a huge mistake, uh, and even to dress the characters is too. I actually don't like the idea of letting the costuming do the talking, even though it kind of makes sense. Like, ideas, they're not really... You still there? I think I lost you. Oh, hello. Oh, there, no, there you are. Yeah, no, it, it's. 
I think the biggest flaw in the second one, and and this might come up when we get to the, I guess you call it the odd man out section of like yeah. which one we thought was the one that made the least sense in the franchise. Yeah. But the 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 number of head scratching decisions that the second movie made, even in comparison to the third one, that took some pretty wild swings. The second one just feels more like it was flailing for a reason to exist than than the other two for sure. I would agree with that. The last portion of that statement that I heard. Sorry about yeah. that, guys. No, you're fine. Yeah, the second one definitely felt like, and this goes back to what I was talking about of them not being aware of their budget. I think that it came down to they were like, well, now that we put the whole you know cube into a blue screen, uh-huh. we can do anything we want. Yeah. We can have cubes morphing into bigger cubes, and then that cube will become like a hundred, and then it cuts everybody up in the cubes. And, and yeah. it just felt like they went that direction with it, and everyone's <laughs> like, but why? And I was like, don't worry about it. It'll be so cool. And yeah. then it's not that cool. Yeah, well, the weirdest thing is that, like, I don't want to say there's a clear continuity or connection between the first and the third, but they feel like they kind of live in the same universe. Yeah. But no, oddly, it's the second and the third film that have a, a, a creator in common. Um, Ernie Barbarash, I think is his name. By the way, I think he may have been formerly a sweat hog. But um, he <laughs> he was, I think, the writer on the second one. Well done, well done. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, writer on the second one, director on the third one. So there's actually more DNA in common as far as creatives in the last two, even though they seem so much vastly more different than the first and third one do. Oh, look this guy up. So well, what I know of Arnie Barbarash is uh, that he's basically sort of, I call him the sequel king. I was looking at his resume. He's either produced or directed or worked on American Psycho 2, Cube 2, Stir of Echoes Homecoming, and the first nine and a half weeks. Ah. So he's the guy you call when you don't need a sequel. Yeah, <laughs> and it looks like I, I didn't even realize this until now, just clicking through, but the director of Cube Squared is Andre Secula, yeah. who is the cinematographer for Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, American Psycho, a bunch of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And if you look, he has not directed much else because apparently he's a very good cinematographer, uh, but he either Evidently. didn't want to or this movie did not uh, give him opportunity to direct more. I wonder if he even did like this one because I I just think that Cube 2 just Cube Squared sorry just looks awful. I really don't like the way it looks. It feels repellent to me. I don't uh, practically. So I'm losing your sound, Garrett. Yeah, same here. Oh. We're gone. Oh, oh there, there you are. There he is. I heard him. Didn't even talk when you guys said you heard me. Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> it's one of those. I think we're just dealing with the... Oh, look, he was the cinematographer on uh, Cube Squared Hypercube. What do you know? Yeah, it looks like the whole thing was shot in... I don't know if this is a reference. I don't know if you guys watch it, but it looked like it was shot in Janet's Void from The Good Place. Like, oh, uh, I've not just, I've not seen The Good Place. It's just everything is brightly lit with the, sort of that um, that soft lighting that they do on sitcoms so that you can shoot from any angle and not get yeah, yeah. shadows. Like that's the vibe that whole movie felt like for me. Yeah, it feels flat. It's uh, I, That's something that I think two and three sort of had in common was that I never felt like they were in anything more than the singular room of the cube when they were in the cube. Whereas in the original cube, it fe- when they bring up the idea that they're in a whole you know Rubik's cube of interconnected cubes, I can picture that in my head. It feels like that in every moment. Whereas in both the second and third one, I always just felt like it was actors playing around in a single cube. 
Right. It, it just it never captured that larger feel for yeah. me. I don't know why. I can't really place why, but well, I, and yeah, they clearly were trying harder to do it too. They had so many more shots where you would be looking through the cube into the other mm-hmm. room, and they were doing a lot of uh, crossplay that I don't think Natalie could have done practically. He wasn't able to, but it still, yeah, it felt almost like more desperate to mm-hmm. expand the canvas in a way that didn't really need to be. Once um, again, it speaks to the idea where they go. Oh, we can actually, you know, when you show something, when you show too much, you know, it's the difference between Jurassic Park where you see the dinosaurs from chest up and their puppets to Jurassic World where you see a hundred dinosaurs running around and it's all, it just loses that, you know, those limit limitations kind of define it. And in the second and third, when they go, oh, we have a little bit more money, let's show the whole cube or let's show this and that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it was better before you had that idea. You know, the fact that they couldn't show it in the first one turned out to be a great creative decision, even if it was one that they didn't have to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I- I'm curious about what do you, what do you guys think about? I'll, I'll call it influences in both ways. What movies do you think this movie was influenced by, or this franchise? And then, like, what movies do you think ended up becoming influenced by it once it came out? Circle was one of the ones I thought of immediately as being influenced by this. Circle seems like is the that is the most direct line I could draw. I think between this movie and another one, Circle mm-hmm. seems so. I think we lost you again. No, I just... oh, okay. Yeah, uh, Circle's definitely the obvious one. Now I can't come up with any off of the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, wow. just about any movie that precedes it that is people trapped in a small space and any movie that came after it. But I, I mean, I think the obvious one that, that you mentioned, Chris, is Saw, which, as right. we mentioned, does retroactively inform the third one because it has more torturous traps. Um, much slower traps, we'll say, in the third one. <laughs> Um, which, you know, in the torture porn subgenre, it's all about slow and low, slow and low. And, um, yeah, what else could it have influenced? Well, like, uh, I mean, I I would say, like, Lord of the Flies is kind of the thing that this is, like, uh, or or one of the things it's very indebted to, right? It's, like, it's that type of story. Mm -hmm. Lord of the Flies, no exit. Yeah. Um, Even something like Rope or, uh, you know, uh, oh, oh, Shit. I mean, or like the, uh, well, this came after, but I could say it influenced something like the invitation. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's well, there's that. two things that I thought of that were I feel like were influences on this. The first one is obvious because I feel like it's similar in the sense that there are characters that are stand-ins for ideologies, which is Twelve Angry Men. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like cool. that's sort of a direct corollary. But then the one that you always hear everybody uses about any high-concept science fiction story is they say it's Twilight Zone-esque. But mm-hmm. I actually think there is a specific episode of the Twilight Zone that it reminded me of, and I don't, I don't know if you guys saw it, but there's one where six weird, des- disparate characters wake up in this sort of big bin. There's nothing in it, and it's just these high walls, and they can't figure out how to get out, and they're basically stuck in there trying to figure out. And then come the end, you know, spoiler for a 70-year-old show, but um, it turns out they're all toys in a toy box, and they don't know right. how they got there. Um, but it's, it's, it's literally the, almost the exact same premise. It's the six people trying to figure out how to get up to the lip of this box so they can see out and find out what world they're trapped in. And that was the first thing I thought of when I saw this movie was like, this guy definitely saw at least that episode of the twilight zone. What about in terms of what it influenced? What about identity? Hmm. The James Mangold movie. Mm-hmm. I love um, that, that movie. That's sort of, it's a great flick sort of only comes into play after the reveal. Yeah, but right. it is similar in that, you know, the reveal is sort of just saying, like, remember all those clues and red herrings? Bah! It's actually something you couldn't even have predicted if you tried. Right, yeah. And um, and so Cube sort of has that mentality of everybody being like, 
like one of my favorite instances in the first cube is when they find out that they've the prime numbers have little to do with it and they've just been real fucking lucky yeah that it happened to correlate with their their assumption and you know they just happened to get away with it for a while that's terrifying and i like that idea in identity when you know it is revealed that none of it even matters because it's not real yes spoiler for a very awesome movie um I also think, weirdly, one of the things I was surprised to, I, at least I see some sort of DNA of influence in, is in some reality television program, competition reality, yeah. um, like Big Brother. I don't know if you guys ever heard of a TV show when Fox had a channel, Fox Reality, for a very brief time, for a couple of years, maybe. And they <laughs> Right around the time Cube came out. And yeah, Oh, that's, <laughs> I wonder, I mean, it could literally be, they, they had a show called Solitary. And the whole premise of it was seven people were on the show. They were each stuck inside their own tiny little room. They were competing with each other, but they never met anyone else. They only ever heard a computer's voice talking to them. And so they were doing all of these challenges, but they never got to meet anybody else they were in. But like these, the sense of uh, the, confine, uh, the confining nature of that and the competition, the sort of the cutthroat thing, and also just there's some sort of like weird steampunky design to the, the set. Um, and then there's a new show on... Uh, on Netflix, is it called Circle or The Circle? Where it's like a it's like a social media reality show where they're each in their own apartments and they don't ever get to meet anybody else. They only interact through social media, but they're trapped inside this little square apartment, you know, and they can't go out of Weird. it. Weird. Um, yeah, and I just feel like, strangely, of all the things that it could be that could be influencing that reality television would be the one where I see the most connective tissue. I feel like I, that I, show should just be called How to Create a Serial Killer <laughs> because that's like my God, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, for sure. It is a sociopath convention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I agree with you, because especially the, the specific thing we keep talking about where everybody's meant to like represent sort of a different ideology or whatever. It's like it's so clear that that's how all reality shows are cast. Yeah, they, they, they are cast to be powder kegs. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and that's like a good death game movie is a powder keg. It's it's putting just the right combination of people that they'll probably fucking kill each other before they ever even get through the death game. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but they 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 cast reality shows where they'll only pick people who feel like they don't they don't seem to have much else going on other than the thing they're supposed to represent. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of made fun of that really well. And I don't know if you guys ever saw the sort of the Bachelor parody, Burning Love, um, but it's a it's a Bachelor satire series. And oh, I know what you're the, talking about. I'm familiar great, with it. I don't think I've seen it. Um, Martin Starr was in one of the seasons as one of the Bachelors, and he was. The whole running bit was that he had been born premature, and that's basically the only tragedy that had ever befallen him. So every time he's having a conversation, somehow the fact that he was three weeks premature comes up in conversation. That's incredible. And it's like, that's what that made me think of. You know, that whole thing of like, oh, I have one distinctive element to me, and I'm going to yeah. just drive that thing into the ground, you know? That's in the so same funny. way that all these characters are just like, oh, I'm just the face for this product, you know? This idea. Yeah, I'm a cop. Yeah. He even says in the first movie, uh, Quentin's character, he's just like, I'm a cop. I'm going to get you out of here. And it's like, there's a disconnect. (laughs) What's step two? Here, collect underpants, profit. (laughs) Like, that's what's happening. Something I I noted this time around is that, like, you know, the movie stereotypes the the first one, stereotypes the characters in interesting ways, where, like, the Holloway character is kind of stereotyped. But then you watch it in 2020 and you're like, yeah, but she's just right. Like, she's yeah, just yeah. Person. She's just normal. Yeah, she was uh, She was ahead of the curve, apparently, on <laughs> understanding what reasonability in society would be like someday. Right. Maybe that's maybe it is the future and she's the uh, right. she's up now. 
Right, right. Yes, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, it could be present day. And they so, just picked people with, like, weird haircuts from back in the day. Right. <laughs> so I also should point out, this is just an interesting thing that I, I'm sure you guys noticed if you were listening to the names. They don't say each other's names all that much. But in the first film, all of the characters are named after prisons. Um, Whoa, I did not know that. Yeah, Levin and Worth are the two characters. Then there's Quentin from San Quentin. There's Alderson. Wren is a French prison. So I thought there's, first of all, that's obviously not a coincidence. Every one of the characters right. is. Yeah. Which leads me to believe uh, that if if we wanted to look at there being some sort of like a social lens to that idea, then what he's talking about, that big machine that's gotten out of control, is perhaps the punitive system that's sure. been since long before any of us created it. And yet it's still just running the way that it runs and none of us really yes. has any control over it or tries to change it in any way. So right. I thought that was an interesting observation. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's true too. If you look at the prison system, it is designed to sort of, uh, as long as you put things into it, it self-maintains, yes. you know, to the point where it's like, there's literally legislation where people go, can we let these nonviolent offenders out? And they go, ah, that affects the labor. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, yeah. we do think of it that way. So yeah, yeah, it is. I can't, you know, it was funny when I saw the, when I, the one guy's name was Quentin, I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's supposed to be like a Tarantino reference. Cause this is high style, you know, <laughs> and it just never occurred to me that they're, had someone walked in and their name was like Walla Walla, I would have picked it up. But uh, that's oh, that's that's interesting. Okay, mind yeah. blown. They yeah. also do a lot. There's a lot of wordplay in the script for the first movie. They do a lot of playing with Worth's name. He says something mm -hmm. like, at some point, he says, uh, "What is your opinion worth anyway?" And then he says, like, uh, I forget what he said. There's like, there's all these weird jokes about his name being Worth throughout the yeah. uh, the script. No, there's a lot of, well, and visual puns as well. Like when uh, when Quentin first comes in the room, literally the first thing that we see, he reaches up into the room and is, he's got blood on his hands. Right? Yes, and, yeah. and that is emblematic of who this guy is for the rest of the film, right? Like, yeah, yeah okay. Party. Yeah, so the movie plays, I think, fast, uh, fast and loose with it, what would have in another movie been sort of a ham-handed uh, nod. I think they're almost having fun with yeah, what could be considered tropes of the arena. So uh, yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed that. I, I think it's definitely, you can see that Vincenzo Natale has, um, if you watch any of his later work, particularly if you watch his episodes of Hannibal, Agreed. he has a really- I just started uh, that show, just this week. Oh, God bless you. I, I, I've been preaching the uh, the preaching the preaching love of that show for years. But- um, Great so far. He has a, he has a, a I don't want to say an operatic style, but he does operate on a, on a level slightly above reality. Like his stuff doesn't yes. feel real. And, yeah. and I, I like that tone. And I like that. It, I realize now it was intentional. It wasn't like it was an accident of performance or lighting or anything like that was his style. And then mm -hmm. when you watch other things, like he did Haunter and um, Cypher and a couple of other features and then his stuff. Splice. Animal, splice that's right. Yeah. yeah. It all Love has that, that, that same tone, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's like something he, that, Oh, the, once again, the disconnect with the with the budget and all that. Two and three don't feel like they fully know what they want to be with their movies. They feel like they're trying to either break free from Cube or tie to Cube, and it doesn't feel original. Whereas Cube feels like a true original, um, you know. And and I think because it's at peace with what it is, it works so much better. Yeah, I mean, Cube Two feels like it's trying to rely on its special effects, which yeah, exactly. the whole point of a Cube movie is that you can't afford special effects. Like that's why mm -hmm. you're making it, you know. Um, and, and so it just, yeah, that one has like feels like it has. Uh, I don't mean that this sounds so insulting, but very little like artistic value, like in that regard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, when I mentioned earlier that I didn't really like the the way that there's like a lot is handled just in montage. I feel yeah. like that's kind of unavoidable. You know, you yeah. can't just have trap after trap. You've got to kind of lube it up a little bit. Yeah. 
And in the first movie, they're the only montages that even have an air of artistry to them. Yeah. The way that montage is handled in two and three is so artless that it really just did not work for me. The uh, my favorite sort of like the the way that Natalie was having fun with the language of film to sort of tease I was talking about is so, done so clunky and and literally I think it's in the second film when we hear about how they all got there and we're getting the flashes of the real world stuff but they will only put them in little cubes on the screen yeah, like they, yeah, yeah. the cutaways are literally in cubes it's like guys yeah, yeah. this is you get one more step I'm just asking you to take one yeah. more step of thought <laughs> yeah, yeah just a little rewrite just oh, a little yeah, bit. I, it, it like Dan keeps referencing this, and it's my favorite thing about Cube too, which is that the on-screen title is Cube, and then the two is a superscript, as if it is an exponent. Yeah, well, because exponents be- are more extreme. Right. Well, and that means the literal title of the movie then is Cube Squared, and that is about as clever as the entirety of that movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, honestly, and the, the irony, of course, is that you want to call it cube cubed, but that would have been the third one, not the yes, second one. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, they so really funny. shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. Oh, then Actually, again, I think Fast they should have just called it call it whatever they want. They should have just called it cubed with an exclamation point, like a comedy. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. somebody on the cover going like this. <laughs> yeah. You know, arms up, shrugging, like, oh, well, what a crazy world. Yeah. <laughs> He's tesseracting up. Yeah, um, the, the two teams uh, leaning back to back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I did Dad got really? us caught in this cube again. We've I been kinda... in text form calling it cube, but just using the digit two for the C in cube, and then using the digit three for the B in cube. Yeah, whenever you that works perfectly. To, whenever you text it to me that way, though, I say it as tubed. Yeah, tubed, that works. Tubed. So uh, I have to ask you, I think... I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think I know what you guys' choices for this. But if you had to pick the Dark Horse, Black Sheep entry, right? The odd man out of the franchise. Um, every franchise has one. I think there's an argument what it is in some franchises. There's no argument in Friday the 13th, I think. Everybody knows which one they don't like in there. Which of the which of the cubes seems like the odd man out to you? Two, baby. Yeah, keep squared. It's square, baby. Yeah. Yeah. The, honestly, the like, there's stuff I like about two. I think like the sex scene in two is so fucking weird uh, that I kind of, I, I just like, I, I, I like. <laughs> you mean you mean when Bobo Jason Lee from Mallrats starts getting yes. it on with the lady? Yeah, and then we get that really strange shot where they just are like dead bodies that are still in coitus, like floating in the room. Um, like it, that is so admirably strange. I think where it's like one of those things where I'm like. This movie is dumb as hell, but it has that really weird sex scene in it. I'm glad it exists. Have you seen uh, Crimson Peak? Because you should yeah. if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yes. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. That particular scene, it's one of those things where it's like, well, you can either stand in mediocrity or you can run towards the oddity. Yeah. And the oddity is not always a success, but it's almost always better than mediocrity. And at mm. least in the sequence, I felt like, well, they ran towards it, man. I don't yeah. know if they did, but they ran towards it. Yeah. Two felt like to me, um, I, like it, it didn't maintain the illusion that it could be solved. I think part of what drives one along is that you're trying to figure out how to get out of this right. cube along with these people. You're following the function of it. Um, my my better half uh, used to work at one of those escape rooms, and they always used a term because they don't want people just punching down a wall because it's you know it's just repurposed office space. And they always say every puzzle has an elegant solution. And I always like that. And two suggests that there is an elegant solution. 
where I sorry, one suggests that there's an elegant solution, two does not suggest that. And I right. think it like, you know, loses that to me. I, I had a puzzle <laughs> growing up. It was a it was like get the ball out of the cage. And I couldn't figure it out forever. And I finally just looked it up online when internet started happening. And the solution was you literally just had to like bang it until something got loose and then you could break it out. And I was like, what an inelegant solution. But that is the vibe that the puzzle of cube squared feels like to me. Whereas one maintains the idea that like some combination of things will get us out of here. That's part of the fun of watching it. And with that gone, it just becomes dead in the water. Whereas with part two, the elegant solution is to continually kill and eat Jerry to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do like... If there was some like defining thing where they understand what's happening between each room, besides just time's fucked up in here, it would would feel a little bit more cohesive and complete. But instead, it once again feels like the presentation of an idea. And then, you know... I was genuinely confused because I thought it was time travel, but nobody ever said time travel. They kept talking about different dimensions. Right. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking... Is it not time travel? Are these alternate universes where they're like these are alternate universe Jerry's or are they eat? And there's evidence for both happening? in the movie. At some yeah, points yeah. it does feel like it's time travel. At other points it did. Yeah, it's just like pure yeah. Magic Island. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I do. I there's like again there's there. This is one of those movies where it's like there's ideas in it that I like enough that I still kind of enjoy the movie, but I hate that the movie doesn't explore them. Like you at by the end of the movie you do get this idea that there's literally like a cannibal serial killer among these people basically mm-hmm. right um why not ha- like if you're going to make your stupid fucking cube movie where it's like somehow a time traveling cube that opens up portals to other dimensions so that you could have a jerry that this guy can eat over and over again why isn't this a slasher movie like why don't you use that concept to lean more heavily into actually this is a slasher movie like we took oh, the concept dude, Jason of Jason in a cube. Exactly. We took the concept of cube and we put Jason inside. Like, I would watch they, Jason in a cube. That's a, it's like the, the, the setup <laughs> is so close to being able to do that with, and they just kind of don't. They instead, instead, what it actually is, it's a weird sort of precursor to Inception. It's like the closest thing I could call it. Yeah. Where like the end reveal is that it's actually some weird form of corporate espionage where they're trying to like take down this like, I don't know what he is. He's like a hacker that owns a tech company or something like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Who is the blind yeah. lady? Right. I would uh I would watch is the next of the versus franchise. I would watch Jason versus Cube. <laughs> That'd be <laughs> yeah. amazing. Friday the 169th. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think oh, the math's man. right on that. 13 cubed. Oh yeah, nice. I think Very that's right. Good. Is I that why you were way. quiet? That whole that whole last statement, you were quietly over there doing the math. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting there like, but I went the other way. I was like, square root of 169. Yeah. I was remembering my times tables. Oh. One note I'd like to make about Hypercube that I've thought since day one, the lead, the, the cop guy who ends up being a killer, yeah. he looks to me like a giant baby. He looks <laughs> to me like they zoomed in on a baby and then painted a little bit of facial hair on him. It's the weirdest thing, and I can't unsee it. And now that that meme exists with that, remember the happy baby that was really, really big, and everyone <laughs> shared the meme. It was like this baby's creepy. He looks exactly like that to me, and I couldn't unsee it. And like anytime he was on screen, I was just like, "This guy needs a diaper change." Like I just can't. <laughs> it just bugged me out. It was just once it got in my head, I was like, "I can't look at this fucking guy. <laughs> can't so, do it." So before I dive into the famous faces where I'm just curious if you guys recognized anyone in front of or behind the camera, I did just want to mention one really funny thing I thought of, uh, and this is this predates it by one year, so this movie originated it. The character of Ren 
you know how he monologues about how hard it was to get out of prison and 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 how much you risk your life and such and such if you people want to survive you'll follow me and then a bit immediately has his face melted off by acid yeah uh, remind us of how terrible this place is he literally did the deep blue sea he yeah. did deep blue sea by a full year he pulled the samuel l jackson have you ever seen you think sharks move fast have you ever seen snow and then halfway through his monologue he basically gets eaten to yeah. how dangerous everything is yeah like this is a full year before that and ren did the uh, uh yeah he deep blue seed before deep blue seed <laughs> i love when that happens in a in in movies where someone's just like i am confident and then the god of that movie is just like you are worthless <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah the, was it in the first feast movie where the action hero shows up and he goes if any of you want to survive you better and then literally mid-sentence hands reach through the window and yank him out and he's dead <laughs> amazing Amazing. Oh man, Feast was that movie kind of rocks. I've never There's seen another that. franchise we can add to the list. All right. Yeah, all right. that's a cool flick. And I've only I've only seen Feast. I also I wrote down just a I I have notes here that didn't follow our, our thing, just notes. Um a line that I loved, uh, it was an exchange between Quentin and uh the guy who just worked there. I, I don't Worth. remember what his name was. Worth, Worth yeah. and uh He's all just like, whatever, man, we're trapped. And uh, Quentin goes, not all of us have the luxury of playing nihilist. And he goes, well, not all of us are conceited enough to play hero. And yeah. I, that back and forth was such a great little piece of dialogue. And really, the, they each do have a pretty accurate read of the other one at that mm-hmm. point in terms of what they're putting out there. And I, don't know, I just enjoyed that script moment. Yeah. No, there were, there were a couple of lines here and there where I, I thought that I was like, I, that's it's a little self-conscious in the sense that I can hear a writer really proud of themselves at that moment. But at the same time, I also really like it, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, um, but so yeah. you said, Gary, you said, do you recognize some uh, famous face or two in the crowd or, I mean, sure, we already yeah. talked about Natalie, obviously. Yes. Natalie is, you know, the famous face, but, uh, so Nikki Guadang, boy, I don't know how to say her last name. Guadagni, Guadani, who plays Holloway in the first one. Uh, she was just in Ready or Not. Um, she's like the evil auntie in, uh, in Ready or Not. Oh my god! Yeah. I just watched Ready or Not like last week, and I yep. didn't put that together. She was the best Same part here. of that movie. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. She's great in that movie. I think. Oh yeah. wow! And that's why I think it's like again, it's like we uh, like watching this movie initially. I was like, man, I, 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 the acting is bad in this, and then like watching it again now, I'm like, I don't think it's bad actually. I think these people are making choices. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think these are are decent actors that are making choices to be you know, kind of arch, you know, they're, yeah. they're all playing pretty arch. Yeah. Well, I mean, David Hewlett shows up. If you've ever watched a Canadian television show, you've probably seen David Hewlett who played worth, but yeah. um, the one I recognized is, I don't remember the actress's name, but uh, was the one that played Levin. I think she was on deep space nine. She replaced the first Dax. She became like the uh, Dax, the, you are correct. Uh, yeah. She plays Lieutenant Esri Dax. Yeah. 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 Um, so she was apparently also on the dead zone TV show. Oh, right on. Okay. Um, I didn't yes. recognize anybody. My only She's connections were Andre Secula and uh, Vincenzo Natali. Yeah. I, I not know any of these people. Her name's Nicole DeBoer, by the way. That's that's the one. Yeah. And then I also I actually recognized the guy Quentin. This shows you how much of a nerd I am. That I remember he was in at least one episode of the uh, was it USA or Sci-Fi? I'm trying to remember. They did a show called Haven. That was uh-huh. based on a Stephen King story. He was like a federal agent in that, and pretty much playing the exact same guy he played in this. You know, yeah. slightly more low key. 
his name's Maurice, Maurice Dean Wint. And what I'll tell you about a lot of the actors in all three of these movies is the big connection I found is a lot of them are voice actors, uh, which actually makes a lot of sense when you think about their performance styles uh, in these movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, right on. If, we, if we closed our eyes, it would be a much different and perhaps better experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cube on the radio. I could listen to a cube. It, dude, it would Honestly, work. It would translate really well. It would translate very well. you don't well. ever have to do setting. No, and you can just do really gross noises for traps. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hand in a bowl of spaghetti type stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, I, man, I want to do that so bad. I want to record an old-timey radio show, and I, I want in-studio effects. That's key. <laughs> so, okay, so here's what we need to do then. We need to do an OTR version of Cube, like it was an old, like we'll call it, like, The Cube, you know? Yeah, yeah. The Cube. Yeah, we could do the full-on. But it would be old, like, you know, like a hand-cranked 1920s-style machinery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be amazing. Steve oh, Punk I would Cube. love that. And in that world, wonky eye boss man would fit perfectly. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, until that, then, uh, yeah, I think that's the world the third one's trying to establish, right? Yes, Steampunk yeah. Cube. It's like a, it's attempting to get there. Mm-hmm. So, did you have the the last? And I'm I'm sure there'll be other stuff when we wrap up. But the last thing I'm always interested in in any franchise, I always feel like there, even if you have to search hard for it, there's some groundbreaking element, something that this franchise did that somebody hasn't done or they didn't do in that way. I'm curious if you guys. I, I thought of one that I had, but I was curious if there was anything that this franchise did that you were like, you know what? I haven't seen that before. I haven't seen it that way. I mean, I still put that Cube may have been the first to do the not realizing I was diced to pieces until too late. Mm -hmm. I think it might have been the first for that, but I, I don't quote me on it. Yeah. Well, if if it didn't pop, if it didn't create it, it certainly popularized it. Yeah, exactly. Like in the same way that you know Blair Witch wasn't the first found footage, but I mean that's where the movement began. You know. Yeah. 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 Mine was. Sorry, Gary. You go ahead. No, no, no. My, I was literally about to be like, I don't know. Uh, so go ahead. Give me more time to think. Well, the one I know we talked about it earlier about the idea there had been films that were confined to a single room before. But I've never watched, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe there was a single episode of The Twilight Zone that I missed or uh, Outer Limits or something. I've never seen uh, a movie that predicated itself on using only a single room, but insinuating that that single room was 180 other rooms. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's the first time I've ever seen a single practical set be used in that many different ways. And and treated within the story like that was not not that was a weird thing you know like you know you'd see one uh you'd see it in a an episode of some sort of spooky show where like a, a guy opens his door and walks through the living room and then it's the living room on the other side but that's supposed to be a weird thing where he doesn't understand yeah this it's pack manning yeah exactly this is the first time I've ever seen one where they took a single space and continually redressed it but still made it look fairly similar and said no this is 80 rooms not one room I I've mm-hmm. never seen that before. And it really, really works. I mean, that's something that if you're not thinking about the making of the movie, it definitely captures. I mean, I said this earlier, it captures the idea that these are different rooms when we know mm. for a fact it is one room. Yeah. And they spent well, all their money on it. And and I honestly think like it's, it sounds crazy, but like just deciding that they were going to put one in the ceiling and the floor is what made it uh, the next level. Right. Yeah. It's been four doors on walls. You've been like, OK, that's lazy shit. But no, they got to climb to the ceiling. They got to go through the floor. They got to hang off of stuff like the commitment to the bit of it. Like if it moves in all these directions, you also have to be able to travel in all these directions. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something like he could have taken a much easier road by just saying there's four on each wall because you can do that to a regular wall. 
yeah, yeah. But the commitment to do that, you know, to actually make it a cube where you can travel in any direction, there's something about the chutzpah of that on that budget that, like, I really appreciated. And it's a lot of fun, too, because then you get to have fun moments where they have to lower someone down on a rope into a soundproof room or a sound-triggered room. You know, uh, you have to consider the idea that someone might not be physically capable of monkey barring around, you know? That's... Yeah. That's a really cool way to kind of expand what they're working with. That reminded me of my favorite icon of the series. This is the clothes rope. Well, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Tying a bunch of clothes or shoes together for various purposes. That was another iconic uh, thing that popped up over multiple movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just the boot, right? The boot yeah. is pretty iconic. Yeah. yeah. Or, uh, yeah, them dropping that lady off the outside of the cubes when she couldn't reach the uh, exit there. She was hanging yeah, out with yeah. all their overalls. Yeah. Ooh, that was, I mean, that's certainly not something that it did with, that was new, but that was actually a great moment for a character turn for that guy to be like, got to cut weight and just coldly lets her die. Mm, well done. Yeah. And I mean, give, that's her, all... give her the scar treatment. Well, that's also the moment that the movie gets very explicit about where it falls on sort of one of its central premises, I think. Like mm-hmm. the first movie to me seems pretty centrally about like, authoritarianism right like it's it's about this cop who's like very defensive about like the government could not do something like this like this is not how these things work and then a woman who's like practically paranoid like like practically leans into just fully being a paranoid person oh yeah about, he hates like, having his control challenge the government like that. right and, and he's the, flexing the, control in a place where there is none right and the, and the movie in that moment gets very explicit about like he is wrong like the the in that moment where he bec- he fully just goes like I am in control I have the power the power gives me uh, that power gives me the power to do and make a decision like this when all she has ever done the movie makes pretty explicitly like she is like very compassionate to everybody the whole time hmm. she's untrusting of some of them at different times but she's like always the one to like jump to be compassionate when somebody needs it. And he just, she's the, I'm the second lightest behind her. I can do this. Yeah. And he just, you know, he fucking drops her off the cube. So I like that the movie, I I really like the movie takes that moment to then at least itself make a very explicit, like this is where I, this is where me, the movie stands on this like sort of central thesis that we've established here. And well, I think it's definitely a screed against selfishness. Anybody who behaves selfishly gets dispatched pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, perhaps it's just because it's happening in the world around us right now that I'm so sensitive to it. But the fact that the characters are all named after prisons and that we've got a police officer who is abusing his uh, power, I -hmm. feel like there's no way that it's not an intentional. I don't feel like it's not an intentional commentary on problematic nature of people in positions of power who are, I guess you would call sort of like middle management power you know right, mm-hmm. right. uh and, and and the level of abuse that they're allowed to to take because other people won't stop them or there's no one that's willing to step in and the people who aren't fight or i guess the people who are hurt by him are the ones that didn't want to believe that he would be like that right. and then ended yeah up yeah becoming victim to it you know right. yeah kind of interesting we said middle management power because that's something that they do play a lot within cube zero yeah. you know where they're they do have a certain level of power over the cube but then when, you know, challenges start to arise, they're immediately deferent to a higher power. Mm-hmm. You know, the the partner, I, I forget the character names, but the partner to our main guy is very much a stop asking questions, man. They yeah. sign the checks. We're going to do this. I don't question the logistics of it or the, uh, the ethics of it at all. Yeah. Just go with it. And like that in itself is a level of being drunk on power. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and and the ability to absolve yourself of it because the rule came from someone above you. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. where they they had to bake a dude that uh, that they do that they used to work with. Yeah. Because in the handbook, you know, like that's what we do. Yeah. Button. I don't know what it does, but when it burns him, that guy was like, you know, I didn't want to burn him, but I pushed the button they told me to, and it happened. So, you know, yeah. well, it's not my fault. The guy with the lab coat and the clipboard said so, so I had to do it. Yeah. I used to work as a legal assistant in a foreclosure firm. And I took the job just to get out of waiting tables, but I had to get out of that job fast because there was a lot of having to be like, well, they did lose their house and I did do the paperwork and I was unable to help them. It starts to wrench at the soul a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's very, it's, it's, I mean, and it got to the point where it's like, I got to get out of here before I stop feeling guilty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got to keep those crap to my soul still. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I so, mean, and I, I think even Cube Zero is, is definitely trying to like pretty directly imply that kind of work too, Dan. Like they, they work in a place where they're among these like stacks of um, filing cabinets and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, the fuck do they need filing? You know what I mean? When you look at the actual work they're doing, like what? But I think it's meant to imply... That well, it's parallel of... to the cube itself. Exactly. Because yeah, when yeah. you're in the cube, uh, as they say, I actually wrote down the line, even in the first one, uh, the big thing that they always say is think small, just what's in front of you. Yeah, yeah. That's And so that's the key to the cube. Like the reason you can't unlock the cube is because it forces you to think only about your local cube. Right. And it's not, they don't make any headway until they start thinking of it in terms of a larger cube. Yeah. And, you know, that speaks to the bureaucracy of employment, the bureaucracy yeah. of, you know, I only know so much. I only do so much. Yep. I do my task. Any yep. of the ethical concerns are beyond me. It's above right. my pay grade. Right. And there is an evil in that. Yeah, the first one is definitely about how, and I think it's like what you were saying, Chris, like with, with the punitive system, for instance, like how these things self-perpetuate, how mm -hmm. they're designed to self-perpetuate by, like they, they literally use the phrase, the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. Yeah. By having a bunch of people, he says at one point, like nobody wants to ask questions. They just want to have a clear conscience and a fat paycheck. Mm -hmm. and you well, know, they start that in Hypercube too, the guy who designed the panels. Yep. And then they do nothing with it. I know. Ooh, yep. Ooh. Yep. <laughs> I know. Well, it's interesting because uh, you mentioned, uh, Dan, I think it was you mentioned the um, that the third one came out post the Saw franchise existing and was influenced by that. And I think it's interesting because both of them are possibly being influenced by current events in the sense that, you know, Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay are happening, right? And we're talking yeah. about people in tiny boxes being tortured. And I think it's like, it's not even remotely implausible to extrapolate that as as art trying to suss out what the hell's going on on our watch, you know? Yeah, yeah. We've talked about that a lot in the, in the past on this show. Um, if you follow the trends of horror, immediately post 9-11, there was a really distinct cynicism that got into horror. And it torture porn came out of that a little bit because it was less about following the story and more about saying to the viewer, how much can you take? And you as a viewer being like, set it up. Fuck, fuck with me. Fuck me up. Do it, do it, do it, do it. You know, and just kind of chasing that, that catharsis of I can survive this awful torture. You know, mm -hmm. show me something awful. And I think that these, you know, specifically the, the third one that has the cruelest uh, traps, you know, the, it does fall into that, that sort of cynicism um, of well, but, dealing with, you know, Abu Ghraib and, and you know, our post 9-11 <laughs> 
globalization efforts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think to Chris's point and your point, Dan, like, uh, if these movies are trying to investigate, like, what the hell are we even doing? Putting people in these little boxes and torturing them, right? Then the third one adds this layer of the common dude sitting in an office knowing that that's happening, observing that it's happening, and it just continuing to happen because that person just continues to do their job and doesn't think it's enough of a problem to try and put a stop to it, right? Yeah, Like yeah. the third or one kind of adds that layer dealing with their being, own thing where that paycheck right. is just more important yep, to them. Yep, right. The third one yeah. adds that idea of the passive observer to these these things. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I almost feel like the, that this franchise and the Saw franchise are two opposite sides of the same coin in that if we're talking about the same thing, right, which is the torture happening on our watch, one of them is looking at it from the perspective of the people who are just ignoring it, which is allowing it to happen, which is Cube. Yeah. And then the religious zealots and the cult, i.e. Amanda and uh, whatever, uh, the, whatever the FBI agent's name is that followed Jigsaw and Jigsaw. They're that religious fervor that, you know, the, the religious right that was supporting George W. Bush and his yeah. uh, efforts to clean the world up. I feel like it's interesting because we're looking at the active proliferation of it versus the passive allowing of it, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. but they're both talking about the same event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. See, I knew we'd get somewhere interesting with Cube. Even these dumb fucking sequels got something interesting to say. I have a question, a note that I made about the second one, because I'm looking through my notes that I have. <laughs> one is, I noticed that in the early 2000s, just culturally, we had a we had a big boner for neck snaps. We <laughs> yeah. love just like neck snaps. That's as <laughs> extreme as exponents. You yeah. know, there was certainly like you know trying to up the ante there. But a question just about. Because I had an initial logic question about the first one that I talked to you guys about in the email that dissolved watching the first one. And it was just that when they do their math, they don't actually factor for the distance of the tunnel between the cube rooms. Right. Um, but it turns out that they're playing loose anyway. So that was just a non-thing. But I have a logic issue with Hypercube that what? is probably a fool. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a fool's error g- given the fact that it is just timey-wimey shit. Yeah. Um, at the end, when Baby Cop shows up and he has gray hair yeah. and he's got three watches, yeah. are we to suggest that he's been in there so long that he's aged enough to have gray hair? Although We've... then that comes in the question of only gray hair? Well, the again, so... didn't age. I he's only like... collected three watches, so right. it's not like he's been in there decades. So did he age but not have to eat because the time is messed up? Or was he in such a stressed situation that he went gray? Or should I get, just go fuck myself? I don't know. This gets back to your question about whether it's actually time travel or multiple dimensions. And be, yeah, yeah. I think because the movie never comes down on either side, it's hard to say. I think that the movie is actually very specifically doing multiple dimensions and not necessarily time travel. Because I okay. think that's what allows for something like they encounter a grade version of that guy that has three... like the version they happened to encounter in that room. Yeah, that's what happened. He was there for like a really fucking long time. He only killed that guy three or four times over that long period of time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the version of him they happened to encounter in that moment, those are the specific things that happened to that version of him. Do you know what I mean? And I think, I'll take it. I think because of the way they play fast and loose with the multiple dimensions thing, I think it is possible within the context of that movie that, the version of the main woman that we're following who maybe we never see any other versions of whatever. Um, she, I think could encounter a version of that guy 
that actually has lived much longer than the version of her where uh, now it, now I sound insane. Even but what's weird is it. I feel like it's it's presented as he is the original iteration of I him. I think you're kind of right, though. I you do think they are trying to present but that. But once yeah. again, I don't think that it's I think that it's ambiguous enough or they just didn't give enough of a shit right. that they're just leaning on. Oh, no. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. it's woo woo. Yeah. And so, you know, it, but it was just weird. It was one of those things where I'm like, something is being suggested here and it doesn't work. Yeah. But the answer is probably that nothing is being suggested here, which is ultimately more disappointing. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So man, I, I hated Hypercube. <laughs> I really did not care for that. No, movie. I, I 100%. I watched it with a friend of mine. We watched all three. He'd never seen any of them. Oh, and that would have been fun. When we started the third one, he said, I want you to understand if there was more than three films in this franchise, I would already be checking out. It's only <laughs> like there's one left that I'm going to continue on with you. And he ended did up he like, at least enjoy the first one. Oh, you like the third one? Oh, right on. I think the, th the first one was his was his favorite, but yeah, he he was ready to pack it in at the end of two. Yeah. And I think thankfully, the, actually, it's sort of the last third of um of the third film is what turned it around for him. I'll tell you, man. Right I think I think when yeah. that fucking absurd actor enters the third movie, it ju it does just become like I think whether it, it feels like it's even a piece of the movie or not, it at least becomes like a pretty entertaining thing to watch for the last like thirty minutes of that movie. I think what also hurts me about that guy is he like. I think he's playing like he's like in his fifties and he's clearly yeah. like twenty six. Right. Yeah. And so that that always bugs me. It's just like ah, I'm a grizzled old guy. I've seen some shit with my eye that was ripped out. Now I'm half computer. What a life I've lived. It's like yeah. you're nineteen, bro. I yeah. don't know what the deal is. Yeah, you're you're not cybernetic Willie Loman. Just maybe yeah, yeah, back yeah. enough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The death and rebirth of a salesman. <laughs> so I have to ask. We can I make him better. I just thought of this question, but I feel like maybe we should wrap out every franchise uh, conversation with this, which is if you could cross this one over with any other franchise, where would you like to see, what would you like to see Cube cross over with? I think, I mean, we already talked about Jason versus Cube and we all liked it. So why don't yeah. we pick a different one? That's not that one. Is there a franchise you think would be awesome to see the Cube franchise run into? I mean, what if the family got put in a cube and had to solve oh, a cube? What and cars don't and... fit in the cube. That's a challenge. Right. That's what I'm saying. Fast and Furious sans cars because they're trapped in a cube. And then it turns out the cube is just like in a car. The cube is like the shifter on like a, uh, you know, a car that uh, uh, Mr. Nobody dice, is driving. the fuzzy yeah, dice yeah. that are hanging off of the right. rearview mirror. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I thought they'd just zoom out and it's not a cube. It's a PT Cruiser, which is close right. to a cube. Yeah. Like, oh. I mean, that's the thing. I, I feel like there's not a franchise I'd want to cross it over, but there's like certain characters that I would love to see in it. You know, like I'd put Rambo right. in a cube. Oh, sure. That would yeah. be a lot of fun. Give him a gun. You know, oh, Rambo in a cube. Predator versus traps. Cube. Cube versus Predator oh. would be good. Aliens and Predators fighting in a cube? Yeah. It worked in a period. Alien versus Predator versus yeah. Cube. Dude, I'm into that. And honestly, if we if we do the, the double versus, like Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, I would love to see Ash in a cube. Oh, yeah. He would oh. be fantastic. Yeah. And he'd be the kind of guy, too, that would just be like, oh, no, don't worry about it. I already checked it out. There's no traps in that room. He's yeah. really just talking someone into being the – granted, it would never happen, um, yeah. you know, that kind of a thing. But, yeah. Also, All anytime right. well, he would get – he would, like, definitely get caught in some traps but somehow survive. You know what I mean? Like, Ash yeah. would just get the shit beat out of him by a bunch of traps and mm -hmm. somehow survive them, you know? And I always love an idea, uh, you know, I, I've, I've actually, that was my, the one thing I ever got to Fangoria was my letter to the editor suggesting that we do uh, Harold and Kumar meet Jason. Yeah. And um, I would love to put Harold and Kumar in a cube. Yes. I like that. Anything, you know, Abbott and Costello in a cube, Cheech and Chong in a cube. I'm, I'm into that. 
That's awesome. So the, yeah. I, I stumbled back from dust one. till cube. <laughs> be amazing. I RoboCube. <laughs> uh, when I thought of this one, I the reason I thought of the question is because I thought of this thing first, which is my ultimate uh, crossover would be that at the end of we make another cube movie, and at the end of it, uh, when they're leaving the cube, what you discover is that the cube they've been inside of is the lament configuration. Yes. Yeah. Hellraiser. I yeah. was thinking about that earlier. That would be pretty been, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a. It's been a. a I mean, honestly, even as bad as these last couple have been, it would make even more sense why they would be a late entry Hellraiser film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, I just had a good one of someone that I wanted to put in the cube that I could cross it over with, and it just escaped me. Well, well take, your t- take your time trying to remember, because, Chris, I did have one question I wanted to ask you about this, and I think it's oh, also okay. something we should address uh, with all the franchises we do. Absolutely. What genre would this movie be in in your book? Yeah, in this, the- this is... Like where does this because like death game is not a genre that's in your book I don't think right yeah it well in the in the genres that exist right now it actually wouldn't make it in the first book for a couple of reasons first of all this is not uh, this is not a Hollywood genre right this is right, a, right. this is a major indie drama uh, what what it would make it into is the second book I wanted to do which is the the horror and sci-fi subgenres book okay and cool. it would be in the category <clears throat> excuse me it would be in the category of uh, of uh, how, what did I call it um, bright guys bad idea. And they're okay. movies that essentially are a bunch of people in a small space, all making terrible decisions. Uh-huh. Uh, a good example of this is Primer. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Room that invent time travel and basically destroy their own lives. Um, there's a handful of these. There's a movie called Traveling Salesman that's like that. Um, and they're all like super confined science fiction stories about somebody figuring out some fantastic science fiction element and then ruining everyone's life because of it. Like oh, whatever yeah, like- that thing is. Coherence is kind of like that. Coherence is a movie that I always think of along with Cube. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, nobody's ever, uh, it's one of the things I I actually wanted to do for a a long time. I wanted to do a a podcast that was just going to, each week was going to be an episode called Not Quite a Genre. And I was going to be talking about all these movies that uh, clearly have DNA together, but no one's ever codified them into an official genre. And I kind of feel like that's what this movie is. It's because it does fall, it it is a chamber piece and it is, like you said, a a death game, but it also sort of transcends both of those to a degree because of the element of the science fiction and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. I I want to see see the Cube movies crossed over with the Mission Impossible movies. That was the answer. Because Ethan Hunt and his team being put into a cube all in separate rooms by some, you know, villain that, that has, you know, anger towards them. And then they just slowly have to work their way through traps the way that they do. And, you know, Dude. but they would think of it in terms of like, you're going to go five rooms over. You're going to go this way. <laughs> and we're going to go, you know, and just that'll be the thing. Can you imagine Ethan and Benji each on the opposite side of a trapped cube having to shout through the doors at each other, trying to oh, figure out how they're going to get through the cube together? There'll definitely be a point where like a certain trap goes off and it like just misses Tom Cruise's face. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa, we lucked out on that one because they always luck out. Yeah, yeah. I want to see that. I think if as long as we're pitching anthology series for that, I think that we should probably go ahead and let the um the oceans team have to break into the cube to oh, get sure. to something Ooh, as well, right? Yeah, that would be really cool, and it would make it because that's one thing that didn't really stick out for any of the cubes was soundtrack or score. Yeah, yeah. you get that like that that fun jazz of the boom, but the boom, 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 they're all working through yeah. ocean style. Wow, I am into that. Scott Enzo Collins on his own now because they because uh, you know Casey Affleck got vivisected by something and he doesn't have yeah. anybody to bicker with. <laughs> that would be so funny. What yeah. what would, whatever their plan would be where they have to employ because their job in all of the heists is to bicker. 
uh, yeah, publicly. That is just what they do. And uh, to have the, I don't know what sort of subterfuge they would need to bicker in the cube thing. I guess I'll leave that to Soderbergh, but that's a funny idea. <laughs> if Brad Pitt's just constantly eating the buttons off of everybody's costumes. <laughs> I mean, this stuff oh, writes itself, it. guys. Yeah. Yeah, and and once again, and I don't remember what the character's name was, but the little Asian guy, he would be most well equipped. He would get through the cube like that. Yeah, because he just folds up in pieces. They pop him in like a thermos. They just like yeah. move him around the casino willy-nilly. He'd go through that first trap that chopped that guy into pieces, but he'd just be like, "Oh no, I actually I know how to fall into pieces." Like that's yeah, a thing he would that just I, like yeah. dive through yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, they would they would throw him over on that wall with the clothes rope, and he would just scurry, and he would be gone, and everybody else would be like, "Is he not coming back for us? What's the yeah. deal?" <laughs> Oceans Cube, <laughs> Cube Eight. That sounds too much so like good. tube eight, the porn yeah. site. But, Ocean's um, Cube is great. Ocean's Cube, Hyper Cube. Well, this was Caper a Cube. Caper Cube. <laughs> Caper Cube. Had to get there. Had to get there. Uh, guys, Caper I cube. think we did God's work tonight, guys. Yeah, this was great. We did I'm, indeed. I'm glad we chose uh, Cube for this. I, I love Cube. I love talking about Cube. I love thinking about Cube. Cube. And if you guys have a franchise that you would like for us to yeah. dissect, please send us an email at I like. To movie at gmail.com and uh, or just get at us on any of the social medias, the social yeah. needs, um, because there are tons of franchises out there and it would be a shame for all of us to invest our time into one that no one wants to hear. But it would yeah. be glorious if you told us what you'd want to hear and we'd do it. We have been talking about Friday the 13th, which yep. means that slashers are absolutely on the table. But I think, you know, I speak for all of us when I say we're open to anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We want to do uh, the, the direct to DVD. Our direct-to-video uh, Beyond the Mind's Eye CG uh, films from oh, the yeah. early 90s. Do you guys remember those? What the we're, hell are you talking about? We're going to dig into the Scanner Cop spinoff if you want. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. You know, we're going to watch all, of, the, all uh, of those. All of yeah, Francois Truffaut's Antoine Duanel films. That could be yeah. a franchise, right? <laughs> yeah. Literally anything you want. It's, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, we're good. We'll do both of those traveling Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants movies. We'll do them. <laughs> my Girl 1, My Girl 2, whatever. Just tell us who you want. We'll do it. Yeah. I just learned uh, recently that the house that they go to in My Girl 2 is actually the Jarvis house in uh, Friday the 13th Part 4. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there you go. Great. It's also in another movie, but I forget what it was. Yeah. They're all in a shared universe now, so that's a franchise of its own. Yep. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, you could put Jason into any movie, as far as I'm concerned. I'd like to see everything crossover with Jason. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Jason versus Godzilla would be my ultimate movie. Oh, and he just gets embiggened somehow. Yeah. It doesn't matter. We don't even need to... Jason has never had any connective tissue in terms of the logic of how he yeah, exists, or whether he's alive be... or dead, yeah. or ever drowned in the first place or not, right. or lived in a cabin, or climbed out of the water, or lived in the water, or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, so he can be big, or we make Godzilla <laughs> small. Oh, he could just fight Godzilla's son. Yeah, Godzuki. Yeah, Jason versus Godzuki. <laughs> there it is. There it is. We Godzukes. found you guys. Yeah. Uh, Chris, do you want to like uh, plug anything while you're uh, while you're here? No, because I probably won't remember the name of it. Um, <laughs> uh, no, if if anybody who wants to go over to Amazon and look up my name, I've got. Uh, um, Kathy and I have four books that we put out together. Kathy is my lovely wife and co-writer. And then um, Steven Espinoza, who was my co-writer on Spoiler Alert, uh, he and I have a show 
that uh, comes out on uh, Arrow in the Head. It's a channel uh, on YouTube, and our show is called Deadly Duos. And every episode we feature uh, one of the awesome pairings of creators, whether it be two actors, actor-director, writer-director, in the horror arena. And so we've done Guillermo del Toro and Doug Jones. Uh, we've done, I think, let's see, who do we have coming up next? I'm trying to remember the next one. Uh, Stephen King and Mick Garris uh, have Ooh. had a pretty long, fun run. Uh, Can you so, do yeah, a Carpenter Barbeau? Uh, there's, there's probably about eight Carpenter uh, collaborations we could do. We started with Carpenter Russell, but we'll probably Ooh, yeah. work our way back around to Carpenter and several other people before the end of the series. Nice. Great. Awesome. That sounds great. Well, we are at I Like 2 Movie with the Numeric 2, wherever you want to find us. Definitely check out our YouTube. We get some cool prizes coming your way. Uh, I am at Dan Scully on everything, Letterboxd, all that fun stuff. Uh, check out cinema76.com. Just put up a couple of reviews on findy.com. And uh, I believe that is it for me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Philadelphia. That's with an F. And uh, check out cinema76.com. I have an article up there right now called What is a Cube? Uh, so if you like this episode uh, and like this movie, check that out. Um, and, yeah, uh, great yeah. companion piece for this episode. It's, it's a really good piece. Uh, thank you. Because you know what, man? Time may be a flat circle, but everything else... It's a goddamn cube, cube man. It's Cubes a cube, all the way baby. down. I like to cubic cubic. Yeah, are we exactly. gonna are we gonna do the sign off with franchise? Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. My name okay. is Garrett Smith, and I like to franchise franchise. Ooh, here we go. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to franchise franchise. And my name is Chris Vanderkay, and I like to franchise franchise. And we all know that you like to franchise franchise because we <laughs> we like, like to, to franchise. franchise. Uh, now I gotta figure out how to stop recording. This is always the worst part.